Thank you for listening to this episode of No Days Off. Go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as subscribe to us to catch our main show that we do every week. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the AFC and NFC East, the Bills championship aspirations, the Jets roster building up into contention, the Dolphins big splash moves in the Patriots snooze fest of an offseason, along with the Cowboys struggles so far this offseason. The Giants were pretty much small moves and build towards contention and the Eagles and the Commanders push to win that division. Before we get into the actual episode, we do have some housekeeping stuff to get through. Uh, last week, Alejandro and I talked about the AFC and NFC South. And of course, as soon as we're done doing the episode and it goes up, Bruce Arians retired and anoints Todd Bowles to be the next head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This would now make Todd Bowles the sixth minority head coach in the league. And Bruce Arians finds his way up into the front office as like some senior VP of operations or whatever. I imagine that Bruce Arians is going to officially retire from football at the end of this year or the end of next year. But it's pretty obvious that Tom Brady had a piece in it as far as moving Bruce Arians up. And then now Tom Brady gets to become the assistant head coach and work with Byron Leftwich on a regular basis. It's not exactly that big of news as far as what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be next year. I still imagine that, especially with the way that the roster is constructed, Tom Brady returning and keeping your two main coordinators, they're going to be in contention for a Super Bowl. They'll absolutely win that division. And, you know, Bruce Arians may just still be, he's still in the building. He's going to be an influential culture part of the, the team. But as far as on the sideline roster, play calling type guys Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles both get to spread their wings a little bit more and Bruce Arians of course leaves behind a beautiful legacy of hiring minority and women coaches in the league and doing his part as far as you know not only being an advocate for it but actually putting your words into actions and he doesn't have to be a black guy to hire black coaches or to or be a woman coach to hire woman coaches. He has been a major major push for change in the league up until this point and I think that that's going to be a huge part of his legacy as as far as we look at his coaching tree down the road. Congratulations Bruce Arians, you're a Super Bowl champion. You are beloved in the city of Tampa and you are beloved across the league. Congrats man. We Last week, we also didn't say Robert Woods was traded to the Titans from the Rams. And we didn't talk about it at all. I completely slipped my mind when we were talking about the Titans. Um, but if I think it was a good move. Robert Woods is a super under-the-radar wide receiver, too. And I think he's going to be far better than Julio Jones was productivity-wise. And same thing with the Titans. The Jets have their eyes on A.J. Brown. It's been squashed pretty much. the that the Titans are not going to shop A.J. Brown. Um, the Jets also have their eye on D.K. Metcalf and Debo Samuel, and those both seem relatively unattainable right now. But the main part of the episode is we're going to be talking about the AFC East, and we're going to start with the Bills. 
The Bills come into this year hungrier than they ever been. They've fallen short in back-to-back playoff runs at the hands of Kansas City. And I think, you know, we, we were, you could have debated it last year, but starting this year, they're the best roster in the AFC. I don't care about any of the moves that they've made, every, every other teams have made so far, about what the AFC West has done, how teams have navigated, the whether the, the Oakland Raiders and the Dolphins added talented players. At the end of the day, I believe that the Bills are still the best roster in football. Josh Allen is the motor that keeps the Bills running. And either he's the best quarterback in the league or he is a hair behind Patrick Mahomes as the best quarterback in the league. And last year, they sported the best defense of 2021. They maintain all their coordinator or they maintain their defensive coordinator. They obviously keep Sean McDermott. And outside of Brian Dayball, they hire the quarterback's coach, whose name escapes me right now, um, to take that place. So I don't believe that they're going to step back at all. They threw out some big money. Big money to Von Miller. Von Miller gets a six-year, $120 million contract. It's a big number to throw out. And whenever you see those tweets, that's the agent putting out those numbers to reporters. If you hear that, does my I the agent's basically saying, I got my guy, six years, $120 million. But it's basically a three-year, $45 million contract after the guarantees, so he can be cut after 2024 with no dead cap whatsoever. And they've needed a premier edge rusher for a while now. AJ Epinesa and Greg Rousseau are fine players. They're both picked at the end of the first round, and you are expecting one of them to develop or flash as an edge rusher one at some point. Russo was a rookie last year and he has room to grow still. And but they can win a championship now and they don't need they don't have to wait for him to grow. Wilson, Watson, Herbert, and Mahomes are the four other best quarterbacks in that division. And they are going to be hard to snatch. The Bills defense last year was unable to contain Mahomes in the Chiefs offense last uh, in the playoffs. And one or two stops could have possibly changed the game and changed the tide before he even went into overtime. If you get Von Miller to have a similar playoff production to last season, it's money well spent. I don't expect Von Miller to have a 10 to 12 regular season uh, sack rec- you know, uh, performance. His age will most likely show. Uh, but health is the most important thing for him this entire year. And if they can find ways to keep him healthy training, whether he actually, you know, takes a load management type approach to some of these games, uh, it's going to be the most important thing for him to stay healthy, but he won't have to carry the defensive burden. Uh, he has Shaq Lawson, Tremaine Edwards, Tredavious White, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Ed Oliver are, they're all fantastic players. And like I said, Greg Rousseau can start to develop even further next year, maybe alongside Von Miller. Initially, I thought it was an overpay, uh, but now that I've I've had some time to think about it, you just need Von Miller to show up in four big moments. Three to four big moments in the playoffs, that's what you're paying him for. And he could probably do it. Everyone has talked about how bad their cornerback play was in the playoffs because Tredavious White 
they took a hit after he had torn his ACL. And of course, every team is going to look worse without their cornerback one. So I'm not going to knock them that bad for it. They still have two elite safeties. And with Tredavious White in there, they may have one of the best secondary uh, rooms in the entire league. But if they feel like it's that big of a deal, they can grab somebody in the draft. It's a relatively deep DB draft this year. And they can copy the mold of the Green Bay Packers who had uh, Jair Alexander and they just grabbed Eric Stokes this last year. Having a talented uh, cornerback, too, at a cost-controlled price, that's good roster building. And Billy Bean is one of the better cap navigators that we've seen so far as a GM. Same thing with wide receiver, too. Stephon Diggs is an elite player, and they just gave him a $104 million contract extension, I think, over the next four years. He also gets $70 million of that guaranteed it's most more likely than not that Stefan Diggs will retire as a Buffalo Bill. He's been a vital part in Josh Allen's development. Many people thought that they need to add more depth at that wide receiver position. And they think that Gabe Davis's masterful playoff performance might have just been a fluke. Gabriel Davis's standard is not four touchdowns a game as a wide receiver too. Teams are going to scheme against Stefan Diggs, and all he has to do is capitalize against that, same way he did when he scored four touchdowns. If he can play at a level that is 80% to that, he's great. I mean, he was hooking the Chiefs' defensive backs. And I know I don't think very highly of the Chiefs' defensive backs, but he was hooking them. OJ Howard, Jamison Crowder, and Duke Johnson are three ads. I expect them to add more running backs uh, in the draft this year. And once they get an actual run game going, the Bills' offense is, is going to be borderline impossible to stop. If Tom Brady didn't return, Leonard Fournette would be a Buffalo Bill, most likely. J.D. McKissick is supposed to be a Buffalo Bill, but he backed out. Expect them to add some talent. The Bills are going to be the team to beat the road to the, through the playoffs. I is going to go through Buffalo book that the jets are not Buffalo. (laughs) They're getting there. They got a guy in Zach Wilson, who they believe is going to be their quarterback of the future. He got a lot better as the year went on. And I believe that they had a quiet, but yet really good off season so far. They went into the off season with a pretty good game plan. And they executed it really well. Add some O-line talent. Lincoln Lincoln Tomlinson from the 49ers is a very solid signing. He's not a perfect guard, but the core of their line is Mekhi Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. And they're going to rely on that core a lot. But Tomlinson has a scheme fit with Mike LaFleur, I think Matt LaFleur's brother, uh, Kyle Shanahan, 49ers disciple, He has a schematic fit with that offense. I don't believe that Lincoln Tomlinson is going to have any drop-off last year. I think he ranked within the top 11 of guards last season. I kind of pulled that number out of my ass, but he was was up there as far as guards go. He's an aging guy. He's 31 years old. So, you know, the only thing that I think could stop him would be 
major deficiencies in his health due to his quote advanced age even though 31 in the scheme of life is not very old kyle uzama a championship level player coming off the Bengals, he was reportedly the heart and soul of that Bengals locker room and now he's going to be the heart and soul of that jets locker room braxton barrios is really good friends with zach wilson comes back uh, possibly the best wide receiver duo in the league Elijah Moore, Baxter Barrios? No. D- <laughs> DJ Reed is a cornerback signing. He's a, it's an underrated signing. I, I So before we did the start of the offseason, I was going to create a plan for a lot of these teams on who they should target. And I thought that cornerback was a, a player that they needed to address. And I originally mocked Carlton Davison going to the Jets. But... Obviously, he went back to the Buccaneers. And the New York Jets now get a low-cost option with a little upside. He's a young player, and he has played in Solace system before in 2018 and 2019 on the 49ers. Same thing as Lincoln Tomlinson. It's a schematic fit. And sometimes we see players across the league, especially if they've just left the Patriots, scheme runs everything. Scheme is a huge part and how well players play. Jordan Whitehead, another secondary. He He's going to replace Marcus May uh, this next year, who has left the team. Marcus May was a fantastic safety, uh, fantastic young safety, and for a team that had just traded away another safety for cost control, I don't really blame them for moving on from Marcus May, but Whitehead is the perfect safety to pair along an elite safety. Again, he's a low-cost player. You can replace Marcus May adequately. He is more of a chippy downhill run stopper who tackles really well in space. He is incredibly physical. He'll meet a guard head-on. He'll meet a running back head-on. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll stuff the run lanes. He's just not a fantastic ball hawk. And he would probably be a linebacker if he had the size. But like I said, he's, he's going to be the guy that you pair alongside somebody. And the Jets actually have an opportunity to land Kyle Hamilton 4 or 10 in this draft if they want to. Or they can get like Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State in the second round or so. They have options. And they can get an actual ball hawk. And I think that Whitehead and, and DJ Reed are very underrated signings. They're going to need to focus on defense. Their defense is god-awful. But this is a start. Unfortunately for the Jets, they missed out on everybody. The Jets were running for were in the running for both Chandler Jones and Tyreek Hill. Obviously, they don't have either of those guys. Their eyes were in the right spot. It didn't work out. Right now, the Raiders and the Dolphins are farther ahead roster-wise for anyone to actually pick the Jets over either of those teams. I don't believe that Tyreek Hill even knew that the Jets were in the running. His agent called him and said, hey, the Dolphins want to trade for you. You want to go? And he said, yeah. I wouldn't even, if I were his agent, if I were a family friend, I would tell Tyreek Hill, hey, bud, maybe the Jets isn't a place to go if he was actually considering it. And Chandler Jones, I think they could have thrown as much money as possible. Uh, The Raiders are definitely way farther ahead, especially considering they made the playoffs. But they, I think right now they have a better QB. They have a better head coach. 
why would Chandler, Chandler Jones, of course, is going to pick the Raiders. But they can also grab an edge rusher and a wide receiver one in the first picks, two picks of their draft this year. At number four, Kayvon Thibodeau is predicted to be there. And if he's not, maybe it's Trayvon Walker. Or they can get in a Mod Gardner as well. I know he's not an edge rusher, but they can add legitimate players onto that defense. And then the same thing, if they go to pick 10, Garrett Wilson is most likely going to be there, or Drake London, or Jamison Williams, whoever you have as your wide receiver one. They have a chance to recoup those, and it may even be better in the long run that they missed out on some of those guys because they have more of a cost-controlled team. So Zach Wilson is the next up. I mean, he, he needs to show some growth next season, and last year he improved in the final stretch. And like I said, they'll need to add a playmaker. And this is, this is a message directed straight to Robert Sala. Call the damn defense. You call your own defense. There's a guy I like to listen to, uh, the Three and Out podcast by John Middlecoff. You can go on to Call and Coward's feed and see it, or you can look up Three and Out on Apple Podcasts. I like him a lot. And I actually didn't even know that Robert Sala wasn't calling his own plays last year. Um, but he is a young coach who is taking on the CEO role. Same thing that I think Joe judge was doing. Uh, he was a CEO, so he would hire the guys and then they, he would let them kind of do whatever they needed to do. And when you have a guy like Robert Sala, who was an elite defensive play caller for the 49ers, I don't understand why he wouldn't want to then still keep calling the defense the reason why he got the job in the first place, keep calling the defense to, you know, to mitigate some of the struggles that the Jets are inevitably going to have with the lack of talent. Robert Sala is probably smart enough to figure all that stuff out. But to fall back and sit behind the scenes a little bit and kind of let your coaches do what they got to do, to me is a little bit foolish. If you can call a side of the ball, call it. Brian Dayball said that he may or may not call plays. He better call plays. He better be the play caller for that team. Because that's the reason why we hired him. That's the reason why any of these guys get hired. There are only so many Mike Vrabels and Harbaugh's in the league. Like, if everybody could be a CEO head coach, then nobody would need, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have such, so many offensive-minded coaches getting hired on a regular basis. Call your players, Robert. So I mentioned Tyreek Hill, so we're going to move on to the Dolphins. And the Dolphins did a lot of right. Obviously, having Tua on a rookie contract gives them a lot of leeway to make these moves. And going into this offseason, they had plenty of cap space to spend. And they, did, they made the right moves first. Emmanuel Ogba and Mike Gesicki both got brought back. Gesicki's on the franchise tag, but Emmanuel Ogba got a, a contract extension or a new contract. Xavier Howard got a five-year contract extension. He is there. The three core players in last year's relatively successful run, um, and they were all bright spots in what was a relatively bleak ending to the season. So I mean, the, when you have a blue chipper. When you have a talented player that you drafted or had acquired for a cost control, it makes sense to bring a lot of them back. 
especially if they're young. If Xavier Howard and, and Mike Isiki and Emmanuel Agba were all 32, I would say no way. But it, it, they, they have made, the Dolphins have made plenty of smart moves so far this offseason. And they added an under radar move in Connor Williams, who Dallas decided to let Williams go. He struggled with the penalties in 2021, but he only allowed one sack all season last year. He's still an all, uh, a solid offensive guard. And, you know, with a guy like that who struggled from penalties, who is basically scorned from his previous team, who the Cowboys decided to let go, it's a cost-controlled move. Uh, it's my favorite. What's the word of the day so far? Cost-control. It's so important that you don't just blow the bank on. I think when you look at what Dave Gettleman did for the Giants a couple years ago when he signed Nate Solder and they went on this big spending spree, these big moves tend to bite you in the ass more times than not. And adding Carter and Williams at a relatively low contract is a great move. I believe they wanted Brandon Scherf or Lincoln Tomlinson. Also, you know, would have been more. But Connor Williams is not that far of a step down. At least from Lincoln. Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert both get added to the team. Neither of them rock, uh, mock or play as a legitimate running back one. But as a running back as far committee goes, it's going to be a good move. Mostert is incredibly familiar with McDaniel's run scheme, and he should flourish here. Edmonds has shown that he can be a lead back in spurts in Arizona, and they're both going to be upgrades regardless over Gaskins and whoever else filled out the rest of that running back room last year. Far more productive. And Cedric Wilson was originally brought on, I want to say, to be a wide receiver too behind Jalen Waddell, but after the Tyreek Hill trade, he is a solid wide receiver three he got moments in dallas and he flourished in those moments and the same thing i was saying about gabriel davis is all you got to do like football is three to four moments a game that makes a difference you got to do a lot of little things right and they all make they all build up to be the end result which is a win or a loss but moments are what define careers and what define big runs and especially in tough competitive games moments are you know what people shine in or crumble in a la Carson Wentz Cedric Wilson has shined a lot in his moments and he's a solid wide receiver three and then of course we have the big game hunting Tyreek Hill I mean you can this is not exactly cost controlled so bear with me here Uh, do what you can to add weapons while your QB is cheap cost control Jalen Waddles and Tyreek Hill may be the two best playmakers so far in the NFL, and it's kind of a hyperbole because they got traded and we have nothing to go off of. But if the scheme is as good as promised, Tua can just be a solid rhythm, you know, passer. And he can make and plays can be made and will be made between the two of them, Jalen Water Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Similar to Debo Samuel, both Waddle and Hill can be used in just about every position outside of the, the front. Five, of course. And same thing with Gasecki. He's not just a strictly inline run blocker. They can use him in, in a various of positions as well. Neither of them physically schemed on paper to be Debo Samuel, but I mean they're still gonna be able to make plays in space. And there's just why Tyreek Hill isn't completely dependent on the deep ball. Speed doesn't just translate into oh, he's a deep ball wide receiver. Oh, he has to go 15 plus yards down the field in order to make a play. 
we see plenty of times where Tyreek Hill catches a seven-yard route, runs 35 yards, and gets a touchdown. What he's going to miss is Patrick Mahomes' extended playmaking, uh, run out of the pocket, be able to just flick his wrist and that ball goes 40 yards. But Tua lacks a little bit athletically as far as extending plays and, and driving in the ball downfield. But if Mike McDaniels is as smart as we all hear he is, he can scheme up some rhythm plays, get the ball out quickly, um, you know, find a guy open on a nice concept, whether it's a rub route or something like that. They can find Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle open and then ask them to go and do more. And the same thing on, on Tua, adding a tackle was huge for their roster this year. Teron Armstead signs. He, it took him a while to sign. You would expect him to have been signed really early on, but the Bengals and the Dolphins were both in the mix for him, as well as the Saints were, depending if Deshaun Watson happened to get traded there. And last year's offensive line was an incredible sore spot for the Dolphins. They ranked about 25th, I think, in the league. And Tua's overall injury history and his limited moving ability is scary. He throws an accurate ball, but he needs time for schemes to develop. And I think he's going to work best as he was in Alabama as a guy who executes design plays. I do expect Tua to play well next season. Now with all these pieces in place, uh, I expect them to make the playoffs, but he's no better and no worse than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I feel like it sounds like a slight to call a guy Jimmy Garoppolo because of the way that we view Jimmy Garoppolo today. But historically, Jimmy Garoppolo was a winner. And Jimmy Garoppolo has always been a guy that Kyle Shanahan could lean on, which is also why, I mean, they traded up to get another quarterback, but they didn't immediately put in another quarterback because they knew Jimmy is a true professional. Jimmy can win them football games. And at the time, he gave him the best chance to win a Super Bowl. Obviously, his injury history and his age has kind of pulled him away from that. But I but Tua can be just about the same thing. You're a high-end game manager. You make the right plays. You say the right things. You have a smile on your face, and we just keep the ball pushing forward. He doesn't even have anywhere near the physical tools to be Jalen, uh, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have the physical tools to be Russell Wilson or Derek Carr. But he can be smart, and he can be accurate. And the Dolphins have to make the playoffs. Even if, this is, even if the AFC is more loaded than it's ever been, they have to win or make the playoffs. Though most likely they won't win the division. I, I believe the Bills is still the best team on roster, but they're currently better than the Jets and the Patriots on paper. And with the, with the addition of Emmanuel Ogba and Xavier Howard, they should, or Xavier Howard, they should be electric on both sides of the ball. No more excuses for Tua. And whether or not he does well, they may always look to upgrade from him anyway. But this is it. This is whether or not he becomes not only a starting quarterback in the league, he has any future in the NFL. Talk about a snooze fest in New England. The Patriots didn't make any moves. Their wide receiver core still needed a lot of work. 
and despite last year's spending spree, they don't really have many real difference makers. Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, those are the headliners for that wide receiver room. And the trade for Devontae Parker is a relatively low-cost move to make, but is he still an elite playmaker? Is he, was he ever an elite playmaker? He's the best on the team right now, most likely. But what more can Devontae Parker do for that wide receiver room? And the linebacker core for them as well is incredibly slow. When you see a player get traded, and when, when at last year when Julio Jones got traded, and he got traded for a second-round pick, the Titans got him. We were all like, shouldn't the Packers have been in on that? Shouldn't the Chiefs have been in on that? Shouldn't like plenty of these other teams, if at all cost was a second round pick, shouldn't everybody in the league be in on it? You don't think the Patriots maybe could have been in on the Khalil Mack move? I know that we don't spend or they don't spend money historically as the Patriots, but like you don't think Khalil Mack maybe could have done something for that team, if, especially for a defensive mastermind. And you pair that with some of the key departures, J.C. Jackson, who also went to the Chargers, who the Chargers were very aggressive to get Khalil Mack as well. It's, it's in Belichick's fashion just to let players walk. And I think over the course of Bill's career, he's proven that he can find good corners on a regular basis, like J.C. McCourty, Malcolm Butler, uh, J.C. Jackson, and Stephon Gilmore. But I think J.C. was young enough to be a cornerstone for the Pats going forward. Time will tell how this deal is going to move, and right now I'm not going to exactly blame Belichick. But I'm a little disappointed in some of the slower moves, or the slower offseason moves that they've made, especially because last year's spending spree was so aggressive, and they, they have yet to get key difference makers, and then they let a defense maker walk out the door. Shaq Mason was a defensive maker, and Bill Belichick loves his mid-round picks even more. He was a good guard for him. And I, I don't know, it's, it's so funny that he happened to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Because it's like, like the Gronk trade went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now Shaq Mason goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like there, there is no animosity whatsoever. Bill wants a mid-round pick no matter what. You dingle a fourth-round pick in front of him, you know, he, he trade just about anything. But with Bill, has the well run dry for him nobody can deny that bill is the greatest head coach of all time he's one of the greatest defensive minds that football has ever seen and he might just be the one i think his new york giants defensive schemes are in the football hall of fame he plans on calling the defense this next or the offense this next year where this is an all-time legacy move and Josh McDaniels leaving for Vegas leaves a big hole. The only notable name on the offensive staff right now is Joe Judge, who floundered in New York. He was also a former New England Patriots coach. But the only coaches that Bill hires are his kids or former Patriots coaches. And over the last couple or over the course of his career, he's been a fantastic elevator and molded a lot of young coaches through the ranks. Everybody at one point really wanted to hire a, a former Belichick disciple. And I think 
hiring young coaches and developing young coaches and having great coaches around you is a very underrated part in what makes a fantastic coach. And this is my knock on Robert Sala is that he is a fantastic coach and he, and he's hiring guys and letting them do their thing. But there are only so many people who can hire everybody, right? Like Mike Vrabel hires everybody, right? John Harbaugh in Baltimore hires everybody, right? Kyle Shanahan and Sean, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have gotten guys hired every single year. Sala, O'Connell, Brandon Staley, Zach Tyler, Matt LaFleur. Eventually, Mike LaFleur might get a job as well. Next year, D'Amico Ryan will most likely get a job. And these coaches have had, they hire are a huge part of their success. So Bill may just be out of tricks. He has no more tricks up his sleeve. He has no more coaches to hire because the only guys that get hired are the guys who got fired and come back. There are no new fresh minds. There are no more young, progressive minds in the Patriots room. And I think that they could use something like that. I am not wishing down on the Patriots at all. I would love if Bill Belichick becomes a fantastic offensive and defensive play caller. But I just, I'm just a little skeptical on what there could be because like, it's just him now. It's just him in the building. Good luck. We're going to move over to the NFC East. And oh man, I've been excited to talk about the Dallas Cowboys because uh, they've had probably the roughest offseason on the field and off the field as well. So far, they're suffering from abundance. And over the last three years, they've had the pleasure of having a young O-line, a cheap quarterback, a cheap running back, luxury first-round picks in C.D. Lamb and Micah Hyde. Excuse me, Micah um, Parsons. And now they're suffering the consequences of that abundance. And Jerry Jones is managing it poorly. Amari Cooper's gone. But the second they traded their first round pick for Amari, he should have gotten an extension. Why wait until he's a unrestricted free agent to then offer him a contract? It would have most likely resulted in a cheaper deal. And he would probably be on the team today if it was a cheaper deal, if Jerry Jones had signed him right then and there. Because the price goes up the second he's able to go anywhere he wants to. Ezekiel Elliott decided to hold out. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, But at the time that Jerry Jones had given him a contract, their Super Bowl window was not right then. We all know running backs are not that hard to come by. And even with somebody as produced as well as Elliott, you cannot sign a guy two years too early to a contract like that. Could have saved him some money. And when it happened, when Dak Prescott signed his damn $40 million contract, it puts him in a class with Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes. And even in Prescott's sleep, he isn't half of what those guys are. He's a great leader. He's a great person. He is a subpar talent. And Jerry Jones has put his eggs in the wrong baskets. Zeke and Dak. He let Amari walk. The only guy that's, get, that's shown Dak some success. Right now he has to, and now he has a chance to build the roster more, but 
I mean, they're they're talking about going and, and getting Chris Olave. Like the wide receiver room is not the reason why this team has fallen short. It's because they have an idiot as a head coach, and Dak Prescott is their quarterback. And Jerry Jones decides that he he wants to do things with his own feelings. He wants to do things that make him happy. And now Lyle Collins and Amari Cooper and Randy Gregory are gone. And those are three of the highest impact players of last year's roster. Dallas is now stuck with the crumbs. Their running back two, Tony Pollard, is better than their running back one. The highest page edge rusher that they have in Demarcus Lawrence is unproductive. And their star quarterback is average. They're going to have more holes than they've ever had to fill going into next year. And they have not done a lot and they don't have enough to really fix that. Luckily for them, they have some young guys that can make an impact. Parsons, of course, is going to be a defensive disruptor. Diggs had a really a really good cornerback season last year, even if he was giving up a lot of yards. You know, you get 12 interceptions, you can kind of live with some of those. But he's going to have to show some growth as well, and they're going to have to rely on that. And C.D. Lamb now has to take a step as the wide receiver one. It does not matter. It will not be enough. They cannot spend efficiently. Jerry Jones has never spent efficiently to make it happen anymore. And at least the Chiefs knew when Tyreek Hill was like, I want to be paid the highest contract in the NFL. They couldn't do it. They can't overpay. And they're in a position to recoup their losses, the Dallas Cowboys are. But they're going to have to make a lot of the right moves. And... I don't believe that Jerry Jones can put his emotions to the side enough to make those moves at all. Super Bowl favorite New York Giants. No, I'm kidding. But there's not much to see here with the Giants. They didn't make any splash moves this offseason. Joe Shane uh, planned to free up $40 million of cap space, and we were able to keep some guys, some core guys into our team. Blake Martinez, who is a, a fantastic run stopper, he was the defensive play caller um, on the field, the guy with the headset last year, and he tore his ACL, so he had a really horrific end, but they could have saved, I think, about $8 million if they had cut him. Instead, they got him and Sterling Shepard to agree to a pay cut, otherwise they'd be off the team. You expected some guys to get cut, like Kyle Rudolph and Devontae Booker. They're gone, and we use a lot of that money to assure up the offensive line, at least a little bit. John Feliciano spent most of his time playing guard last year for the Colts. He's going to slide over now for us to be the uh, to be the center. Nick Gates, if he was healthy, would probably fill that role and John would probably play a guard. But Nick Gates like destroyed his knee, like to the like the Alex Smith level of destroying your knee. So once Gates eventually returns, if he is able to return, uh Feliciano will probably slide over to guard. Uh, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody listening to this is jumping out of their seat excited that we have him. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But these are obviously not sexy picks. And Mark Glowinski is probably our biggest pick. Is not a fantastic prospect, but he did finish last year 11th in win-run rate, which means that on run plays, he won his blocking assignment. He has been a below-average-to-average pass protector. And he's ranked 21st amongst guards when 
none of the Giants guards last year ranked within the top 50. So it's a pretty good upgrade over what we've had over the last year. And we, we were awful. But these moves, to me, symbolize a, a major philosophy change. And the Maras in the front office have been verbally have verbally said that they want to commit to the development of Daniel Jones. And of course, they, it's the right thing to say. They, they have no other choice to say that. But, like, like who are you going to replace him with? Where's it, what, what are you going to do with Daniel Jones if you're not saying that you're committed to, de- to developing him? I mean, they're right that he was not in an environment to grow, but... Like you would love to see more flashes as a guy who was drafted sixth overall. If he was the second round quarterback, you we'd be talking about him like he was Davis Mills, and you'd be like, okay, let's see what we got. So you can't go out and tell the fans that you're just going to play Tyrod Taylor and sell him to the to to everybody. It's easier to sell that Daniel Jones is going to develop into a franchise quarterback, even though I don't think that's going to be the case. But these signings show that their development focuses on Saquon Barkley. Why get the 11th rank run blocking guard if you don't, if you want to develop Daniel Jones and he'll, he'll be a ball runner, but I mean, let's talk about draft capital. We talked about Daniel Jones being the six overall Saquon Barkley was drafted two uh, before Josh Allen was, and it was a stake mistake to make the pick. Obviously we would take Josh Allen over Saquon Barkley every day of the week. But he's in a contract year, and he still has a ton of potential. And the lack of offensive line over the last couple of years have been a factor in his injuries and the hits that he's taken. So he's been off the field and been unproductive. Brian Dayball, I believe, can mold an offense in a scheme where Saquon Barkley can succeed. But, you know, we're, we're going to go for run-blocking t- uh, linemen, and I believe Iki Ikwanu, who is a run-blocking tackle prospect, is going to be our guy as well. But expect eight months in time, Tyrod Taylor is the starter and Saquon Barkley is having a career year. And then I bet internally the Giants are okay with bottoming out, getting CJ Stroud early next year, and then keep pushing with Saquon and CJ going forward. The Washington Commanders, a super short segment. The Commanders are not very exciting. There's no real major expectation for the Commanders. They're obviously in win-now mode, or at least they show a flash that they can be. A couple years ago, you'd expect them to win the division. They had a a decent playoff run or playoff game against Tampa Bay. And not that it isn't impossible next year, but I still think that the Cowboys and the Eagles are a better team to win that division. And Ron Rivera now would most likely be on his way out. It hurts to say it. He's a great guy. um, But they failed to click on all cylinders. And the roster isn't even that bad. Montez Sweat, Chase Young, and Jonathan Allen might be one of the better D-line cores in the league. And Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, J.C. McKissick uh, are are all solid weapons. And they're still going to fall short. The next year's head honcho, GM, head coach, will be able to quickly turn over the roster, I think, and, and put some pieces together. But they're going to need some fresh minds, including their completely incompetent owner, who they clearly, the NFL clearly wants out uh, of the ownership group. I mean, they they have some major cultural issues in that building. And maybe it's playing a factor like Jacksonville was and their on the field product. 
and the Eagles, who have an elite front office. Following the Doug Peterson run, I was a little bit low on the Eagle Eagles front office. They their helicopter parent management approach, uh, belittling Doug Peterson, was a style that kind of rugged me the wrong way. And coupled that with the Jalen Rager drafting over uh, Justin Jefferson and Carson Wentz's bad contract, I was out on him. But since then, the roster building over the last three years has been outstanding. They draft a low-cost replacement quarterback in Jalen Hurts. They really wanted to have Russell Wilson a while back. They got pretty much Russell Wilson light. They've maintained an elite defensive roster. Darius Slay, a great pickup. Disgruntled star from Detroit. Fletcher Cox, they got him on a really low deal. Anthony Harris has been a really good safety for them. And Hassan Reddick, who had 11 sacks last year, 23 over the past two seasons, was on a contract year, proved himself, and they were able to snag him from a completely incompetent ownership group. Not ownership group. I like Dave Temple. A front office group in Carolina. And going into this year's draft, they have two first-round picks and they'll have two first-round picks in next year's draft. The Eagles traded with the Saints. They traded pick 16 and 19 to the Saints for pick 18 and a 2023 first-rounder. The Saints are basically banking on that pick being 20 or better, 21, 22, 23, going up that way. The Eagles, most likely, know it's not going to be the case. They're going to have the ammo to find a high-level quarterback if Hertz is not able to develop into one. And whether that's a trade that they make similar to what we've seen this year or a trade that they make in next year's draft to go up and get a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud, it's a fantastic move. The same thing that the Giants did with the Bears last year. They traded pick 11 for 20 in in next year's first. And that pick ended up being the seventh overall pick. Now we have five and seven. And if this was a good quarterback class, the Giants would probably package those deals to move up too. So I imagine that the Eagles are going to be thinking the same way. They may not have to. I think Jalen Hurts can be the guy. He has plenty of room for growth. We all know that. But as a leader, he's clearly liked in that locker room. And being liked has gotten a lot of people a long way. His passing game is going to need to improve. He'll never have a fantastic arm, but he can have elite ball placement and a nice touch. And his running ability gives him plenty of leeway to stumble a little bit in the passing game. They'll add a wide receiver in the draft, create some more depth. And as a deep wide receiver class, they'll most likely be able to add Drake London, uh, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, or someone will find their way to, you know, someone eventually is going to find their way to pick 15, and the Eagles can capitalize. If I were to pick today, the Eagles are my front runner to win that division. They got a lot of, there's of course some, a lot of things right on them. Quarterbacks run this league, but I believe that they've done enough so far to make me believe that they know what they're doing. That's going to do it for the episode. I really appreciate you guys listening. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Tune into our main podcast, the Lunch Pill 
Lunch Pail Guys podcast that we do every week, along with Pit Stop, what Jared does every other week on Wednesdays. Thank you.